Welcome to the King's Chapel Alaska podcast. From wherever you are listening, we are so excited that you tuned in today. Let's prepare our hearts to hear from God's Word. The book of Genesis, the 12th chapter, I want us to look at just a few passages. Um, it's like so crucial on this, on tonight, in these closing hours for this service to be very careful and I want to be very reverent to our pastors and to this house. I love you all. Wasilla, I love you and appreciate your heart. But there's definitely some things that you can sense very strong that is shifting. And it's really important that we are not afraid of the conflict. Um, if you're going to really operate in the supernatural, you have to be willing to look stupid and people to call you stupid and to call you crazy. The gospel that you're preaching is not going to be applauded by everyone. And this is another reason why your assembly is so crucial and so necessary. You can never, ever think for one moment that God has given you a gospel that people are going to say, oh, that is so cool. If it's cool, something's wrong. The gospel is powerful. Do you understand that? Very, very powerful. And the thought in saying that is that I want you to be very careful to not try to find some place to just fit in, calm down, and be cool, collective, and do everything that people expect you to do as a Christian. I'm just saying. You're supposed to stir stuff up. And if you're trying to fit in, grace is not given to you to fit in. Grace is given to you to stick out. And as long as you're trying to fit in and don't rock the boat, then you don't understand the power of the gospel. The power of the gospel will mess a city up. It will turn religious people upside down. The power of gospel will draw enemies to you. And you have to be very, very careful what to do with people that are your enemies. You're not to hate them. You're not, I'm just saying to you, I'm just saying. You're not, you're not to hate them. The gospel empowers you to love them and for the life of Christ to be experienced through you and with you right where you are. Isn't it strange that some people think that they're more spiritual when they come to church? Isn't that strange? They come to church, shake them a and they're doing all that shaking and fall out and have these poor ushers breaking their back to catch them. And they never do that at home. They ain't got no ushers. I mean, they, I mean they're just... Come on, you guys. Come on. Come on, you guys. I, I love you. Sit back. Sit back. Yeah, okay. But isn't it strange how people come to church and get a little, a little dose of the spirit, you know, and then live like I don't know what everywhere else. This, this is not just something that is 24 hour. This is what is called life. I have to say to prophet David, I love you. I love you. Great man of God. And so it's really important because God is really challenging us. I'm coming into this life because you all are about to walk into a fulfillment of things that has just, I mean, for many, it's just been a shadow. It's impossible. Now it's going to happen. And God is really setting you up for a specific fulfillment of things. And you have to be extremely careful to let nothing damage your thanksgiving for God. That's both at home and at church because church is just an extension of home. So if your home is jacked up, you just come in the church jacked up. You can hide, you know, hallelujah, praise the Lord, speak in tongues, and everybody think you're spiritual. But God really knows what we need. And so the word, like the word has been coming every single night, every single day, it's just been so incredible because it's been surgical. It's like God is really 
prepping us for something that's much larger than we've ever experienced. How many of you agree with that? Put your hand up if you agree with it. So I want to talk to you about something that I started on this morning because I was talking about the unthinkable, how God draws you into the unthinkable. So in Genesis, the 12th chapter, there's something that I want us to pay very, very close attention in terms of the life of Abraham. Now, remember, he has a backdrop. There's 2,000 years behind him. There are people, there are families, there are issues, there are situations, there are impossibilities. We know about the flood. We know about all the craziness that went on. It's it's nuts. So all of this is the backdrop for Abraham, and he comes on the scene, and something happens. Now the Lord said to Abram, go forth from your country and from your relatives and from your father's house to the land which I will show you, and I will make you a great nation. Who is he talking to here? He's talking to Abram. But I mean, who is Abram? I mean, this is God's pick. He picks this guy, a guy that's not qualified necessarily on our scale, and, you know, how, what we would, you know, try to find, you know, whatever, because he's not like a godly man. He's not a man filled with faith and a man that's seeking God with his whole heart. That's not it. Abraham's backdrop is jacked up totally dismissed by most of us we would have never picked him just his you know how we do it you know you know us we grade people based on their family their pedigree we base them based you know you know we we kind of worship morality if everything's been nice and lined up and oh my god so integral that's why god picked them because they were so that's then you don't understand the pick of god you know, he had to tell Samuel one time, dude, you're sitting here looking with your eyes, but that's not how it works. I'm looking at the heart. God sees deeper. And this is why the people of God, if we're going to go deeper, we have to understand that the depth of God's love and compassion cannot be surface and shallow. Do you understand? We have to see each other in a different light. And one of the most frightening things that I've seen during these last four years is the split in the friction and the issues amongst believers over politics how they turned against each other and how that they spoke evil against each other and that one, that, and I don't care. They full of the, I'm just crazy stuff. You're going like the depth of God in you would never do that. Now you can, because that's us. We're human, right? But the depth of God goes way beyond what we see. Do you understand me? To establish his kingdom in the earth, you can never rely on your natural sight. It's impossible for you to see the kingdom with your natural eyes. John, the third chapter, is very plain with that. Nicodemus, you can't even see the kingdom until you're born again. It takes an experience with God and from God for you to have perception of the preciousness of the kingdom of God. Every one of you are precious. I didn't ask you about your background. I didn't ask you how large you was or how small you was or how tall you was or how short you was I didn't ask you about your education and what degrees you have hanging on the wall because God's not impressed with your degrees your degree is simply a degree so God has to help us see the kingdom with a in a different light with a complete different view in depth of its importance and its value and everybody here is valuable I didn't ask you anything about what's in your account how much money you have how much money you don't have you don't have to have two nickels to rub together but God looks at you and he values you he values you and he says you're my people you're personally mine you belong to me and so the story of Abraham the backdrop is quite interesting because his daddy Terah
He is a trip. I mean, like, he, he's, he's like out there, man. I mean, his whole house, and I said this a little bit on this morning, shared it, that his whole house is filled with these idols and is filled with idolatry. The atmosphere was so demonic. It had nothing to do with God picking Abraham because he was seeking the right God, seeking the right God the right way. You'll be surprised how many people, they serve the God, they serve the wrong God the right way. They give everything to him. They sacrifice everything. They give him their mind and their heart and their spirit. So God is not looking at people the way we're looking at people. He will call the most unlikely people. He, he will call people. I'm, I'm just telling you, he'll call people today that's in the crack house and be preaching tomorrow in God's house. I mean, it's just it's the way he sees things. And he's not looking for a formula that we can go by so we can say, okay, now hot, cold, cold, hot, sweet, bitter. It's not that way. It's just that God sees us different than the way that we see each other. And so God draws you into this because he's going to tell this guy, hey, dude, leave your daddy's house. Leave everything you're familiar with, everybody that have accepted you and applauded you, everybody you have supported and everybody that have supported you, you got to get out of there. You got to get out of the country. I understand you're well known. I, I get it. I know. But you got to get out of there because this is not conducive to what I want to do with you. If I'm going to bless nations and birth nations through you, I have to take you out of the false security that you have learned and you've cut your teeth on I gotta take you out of that because there's nothing in that situation nothing in those sequences of events that is going to sustain you for where I'm taking I hate seeing people trying to drag stuff with them into a place and that junk is not conducive with where God wants you to be and you see that even with people that come out of different denominations where they're trying to drag the stuff into where God is trying to bring them into freedom you know I've been freed this week so you see God Thank you so much, Brother Bruno. Oh, hey, hey, my God. Pastor Josh, my So what God he does, he brings us into light that there is a land, there's a place that he's called your feet to walk on. And let me tell you, it's not the same place that you've walked. And it is so heartbreaking to see so many people committed to keep going backwards. It's like... Like, really? So when you see Abraham here, it's interesting because the Bible said, according to the scripture, and I'm going to bless those who bless you. I'm, I'm, and the one who curses you, I'm going to curse. It's not your responsibility to do any of that. I'll take care of that. And in you, all the families of the earth will be blessed. If you hand up and say hallelujah about that. So Abraham went forth as the Lord had spoken to him. And Lot went with him. And Sarai, his wife, and Lot, and his, which is his nephew, and all of the possessions which they had accumulated and the persons which they had acquired in Haram. And they set out for the land of Canaan. Thus they came to the land. And Abraham, I love this, and Abram passed through the land as far as the site of Shechem. And I love this, to the oak of Marah, which many of us, I want to get into this because it's really important. Now the Canaanites was with him, or the Canaanites was then in the land. Now I want you to see that God did not take them somewhere where there would be no potential issues, no potential problems. Now, you know, in the 22nd chapter, let me say this, and I'm, I'm, gonna, I'm not going to preach long. I want us to really seek the Lord in a few moments. In the 22nd chapter, God tells Abraham to do something. Homie is up in age. He's 99 years old. He's 99 years old, and God visits him at 99. For those of you that have an age issue, I'm too old for this. Mm -mm. Girl, I am too old. I mean, mm -mm. I, you know, where I used to have hips, they gone. 
I'm just, I'm just saying, I've got dimples in places I never thought. Thank you for giving me that, Pastor Josh. Um, for those of us that's on this scale and on this time clock that you think God can't use you because you looked in the mirror and saw the gray, your physique has changed. You feel a little old and you're cramping in your back a little bit. Your knees are not the way they used to be. You can't run the way you used to. And now you're using your age and the condition of your physical body to disqualify the call of God on you. Even some of you young people that think you're too young for God to use you. Now, I'm going to go ahead. I'm too young. I'll serve God when I'm in my 40s. Now, that's old until you get there. So it's just amazing to me how so many things, so many things, so many things affects our pursuit and what God has called us into. And so you'll find that the journey, when Abraham took that, when Abram took that journey, every step he took was like God was perfecting this guy's faith. He was not, I'm going to make this real plain, God did not pick him because he had perfect faith. He didn't pick him because he had a perfect background. Because God knew his family situation was jacked up. And by the time Jacob is born, oh my gosh, you got Isaac, really? I mean, if you read the stories, like mind-boggling, because you got Isaac, and Isaac is blind, and he's blessing the wrong person. He was the right person, but he wasn't the person he thought. The family's jacked up. You got mama that won't Isaac, and you got, come on, y'all, daddy is in love with the guy out in the field that smells like I don't know what. Right? So you got these issues. So God is not picking the family or picking them because the family is perfect. He's not picking them because everything is online and oh my God, and God is praising them because they do everything right in their home. Some of you, your home life is so jacked up, the devil is confused. I'm just saying. Y'all call each other names that he's, he's got a dictionary. I wonder what that means. Totally, completely jacked up. But here's the issue. God has promised something in your family. And some of you are so discouraged with what you're seeing, you have no longer placed God in the center of things. You've disqualified God because you don't know your daddy. Don't get along with your mama. Your family is split up. And I hate when we as a church try to qualify people and qualify what God wants to do on those things in those areas alone. Read your Bible. They didn't like Joseph. Put him in a pit. Read your Bible. Did you hear me? Ten out of the 12 brothers couldn't stand him. God still had a plan. God never will waste anything. But what is so interesting, even in the 22nd chapter, is that God is going to give him direction. I'm about to close. Going to give him direction to sacrifice something and to do the unthinkable. And in his son, it's his son Isaac. The 12th chapter, you're getting out. I don't want you around your familiar place. I'm going, I want you out. There's nothing where you are. There's not one place where you are that is conducive to what I want to do. I want you out. And he hears God packs up, brings in his nephew Lot, his wife, all of his possessions, everybody, and he leaves, and he leaves rich. He's not on the journey to get rich. He leaves rich. Very, very wealthy, extremely wealthy. And everywhere he goes, he collects more and more wealth, like it's a magnet. It's crazy. 
and God is now perfecting his faith. Now remember, God is the author of that, and he's the perfecter. He's the completer of it. So God has him on a journey to perfect his faith, to deal with his faith, and to bring his faith, I'm just saying, to bring his faith to a place to where he could have an Isaac. Because at the moment, it just wasn't tough enough. Let me tell you, God calls you into tough areas. Those of you that just want to know God on the mountaintop, you don't know this God. Those of you that just want to know God in the light, you don't know this God. He says, whatever you learn in the darkness, you take that and you teach that in the light. And so you're finding that God is dealing with us. Like, what is, what is Wasilla? I mean, what, 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 why would God set his mind, his eyes, and his heart on you? To be a place in which people will fly from all over the world to come here, be ministered to, and be set free. Is it because you're better than everybody? Greater than everybody? That can't be it. But there's a prophetic word. The backdrop of this ministry is that God said something and somebody got up and did something unthinkable. I said it this morning. When you start thinking about Pastor Daniel, no one can look at Pastor Daniel and just say, you know what? He went to Bible school for 25 years, and my God, after he went to Bible school, he went to Bible school for another five years. He don't just have a doctorate. He got a doctorate on top of that doctorate with a doctorate on that doctorate. No, God raised him up for Wasilla, his entire life, everything he ever suffered through, God had his hand on him for the purpose of Wasilla. So it's like, wow. It's a miracle. Listen, it's the unthinkable. So one of the things you're going to find that God is going to do, in particular in this age with you all, he's going to make sure that your eyes is not on anything but him. Looking unto Jesus only, no one else. This is that moment. This is the moment that God has already intended, I'm just saying, for your family to be delivered. And some of you praying, and the more you pray, the worse they get. I didn't pray for that knucklehead. He's smoking more weed. I just, he just something wrong. I've been praying for her, and she is really going nuts now. And the entire time, God is saying to you, remember my promise. Remember what I said. Wrap your mind and your hearts around what I told you. I hate the fact that people are walking around in church like they have no God. They're acting like they have no father, no one to care for them. Like, I mean, this is just too much. God can deliver anybody but your house. He can deliver anybody but your son and your daughter. He can do anything for everybody else but not you. Then you got to understand why God, some of the things he's doing in Wasilla, I have to tell you, it's really unique. I mean, every culture, every people, to Wasilla, that's what impressed me about KC. KC was just crazy. I mean, you go in the place, they're having some service, you get all these crazy people running down the front, jumping, and they all had the same hop. <laughs> they clapped their hands the same way, you know. I mean, it's like, it didn't matter where they were born. It didn't matter what color they were. They still have that bouncy, bouncy, bouncy jump. You know, some other churches you go to, it's a whole different kind of dance. It's a whole different kind of dance. You go to KC, it's a whole different story. And they come for the hundreds, hundreds of running to the front to praise God. I'm going, these people are drunk. And they were. And I mean, the praise was so intense. The crowd was louder than the band. Their voices were so crazy. Where do you go in Alaska that has that? 
So when God said, Daniel, you're leaving your country, you're leaving everything, you're leaving your father's house, you're doing, God says, listen, Daniel, you're out of here. You're going to leave. I know you love Hawaii. <laughs> but you're out of there, buddy. Everything that felt safe to you and good to you and you had security in, you're out of there. Then he brings them over to Alaska, cold. <laughs> Heat, drastic change from cold, I mean from hot to cold. I know because, listen, I walked in here tonight, I felt like a Clarence rack. I had so many clothes on, I had to go upstairs and take some stuff off. I'm going, Jesus. It was so, listen, it's so cold up in this place. Lord Jesus. Part of me is from Africa, I'm just saying. But it's like crazy, right? And God takes them from a place, brings them here. And I've got to talk about this. Because you all are getting ready to birth something. And your body, listen, your body alone can't do it. The Bible said he had no confidence in his body, nor in Sarah's body. What God is about to do in Wasilla, it, it extends itself beyond what you think and what you might begin to collectively think is normal for us. No, 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 no. The normality is going to change drastically. Let me tell you prophetically. They will walk in the house with cancers on their face, fall off at the door before they even get to the front. The first time that I, one of the first time that I saw a woman that was completely blind, born blind, 72 years, she was blind, never seen her children. She would hear people I'm in the church and whatever, but she never seen their face, never was able to see the face of her child, never. And there was a small meeting where there was some folks like y'all they didn't care about anything about Jesus. Stormy night. Really, really horrible storm that night. I wanted to go home, but my grandmother wouldn't let me. She dragged me and said, oh, you, we're going to church. But I'm scared, Grandma. You fine, baby. You with me. You fine. <laughs> Takes me to church and folding chairs, wood folding chairs. The floor is wood. And you can hear the saints clapping their hand. They're going crazy. They're praising God like y'all were tonight. Just nuts. And there was, the piano was out of tune. The guitar only had one string. The drummer had a real, real professional set. One snare with brushes and a little small cymbal. And that's what they brought. He's all right. All right. I mean, and I'm, I'm a kid. And I remember mom because mom was so sweet to me. And back then, what they would do, they would give you cough drops. They didn't give you candy, just give you this little cough drop. Come here, baby, let me give you something. I'd get that cough drop in my mouth. I knew that was candy. <laughs> oh, listen, I went to mama all the time because she always had me some candy. It was lemon cough drops and cherry cough drops. I felt anointed. And so mom was so sweet. But they had this night in which the electricity went out. The saints opened the back doors or opened the front doors and shined their light into the church and started church from the car, the car light into the church, and they started having church. This is what Wasilla reminds me of. They started having church. Then some of the saints went home and got this, their little kerosene lamps, came back and put one on the piano, one on the pulpit for the preacher. And they had church like the house was jam-packed and it was only like 12 people there. But they had church. God was there. I never forget that atmosphere. I'm just a kid. But I remember the atmosphere. And after this little preacher, he was, came from Africa. 
Little preacher, after he got through preaching, he, he, he stepped down from the pulpit. You know, back then the pulpit was really sacred. You didn't just walk up on the pulpit. Kids didn't play on the pulpit. They'll tell you, get yourself. I will lay hand. Get off that pulpit. I mean, the podium. You didn't walk up here. This was, this was, this was holy. Y'all hear me? Some churches, they don't respect nothing. But anyway. So, I, you know, I was scared of the pulpit. And so he walks down from this holy. Every step is holy. He walks down and said, we're going to pray. Hallelujah. And remember, like it was yesterday, they join hands and they begin to pray. And then he stopped. And he said, Mother, how long have you been blind? She said, 70-something years, all my life. He said, stand over here in this circle. They put him in the circle and begin to pray. It seemed like it was a long time. I can't remember. But they begin to pray. And as they begin to pray, this stuff started coming out of her eyes. I thought she was crying. And I looked up. And, I, you know, as a kid, I stare. You know, we examine stuff. <laughs> I looked, and it was white, real milky coming down her face. And I noticed that her eyes was clearing like I could see her, her pupils. And it just began to drop like this to the ground. I didn't understand all that. The next thing I knew, she was just screaming. I could see. I could see. Never seen her children. Never. They walked her through the church. And she just cried. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Just walking around the church. One on one side, one on the other side. They said, you can see now, Mama. She said, I can see, I can see. I asked God to open my eyes before I die. I wanted to be able to see. I want to be able to see. And she's weeping. Now, I'm a little boy. She remembers nothing about my face because she never seen my face. So I watched her as she was, as they were taking her up on the platform to show her the instruments that she heard because she heard the piano, never saw the piano, and she was tripping over stuff. And I thought, why is she tripping over things if she can see? It's called depth perception. Depth perception. In other words, the depth, she didn't have the ability at the moment to be able to measure. So she was tripping over things, but she was glad to be tripping over those things. And they took her to the symbol, and she hit the symbol. That's what I've been hearing in the snare. And, the, and she just just going nuts. The piano, she's, she just don't know what to do. She's just going nuts. And then she started hearing people's voice, and sometimes she would close her eyes to be able to identify, your sister and your sister. And then she gets to me, and I, she closed her eyes. She said, talk. And I start talking. I said, Mama, it's me. She one of the church mothers. She says, it's me. She goes, you're little Robert. And she opened her eyes and touched my face and said, I remember what I used, the candy I gave you. <laughs> God healed her. She died two years later. But God gave, it was a place where the blind can come to. Now, if your journey is filled with your common thinking, conventional thinking, I just want you to understand, you will not birth what God intends for you to birth because you'll be way past the years of birth. He's old. He has no confidence in his... Look, I, look I'm, I'm just saying, Hagar, I don't need your solutions, Sarah. Sarah, I don't, don't, don't help no more. No more help from you. And believe me when I tell you, some of us, we oftentimes try to use what we see to help God with the miracle. That's not this house. This house is a house that don't think normally. The larger the project, the more faith we have. 
the more impossible things, and we're going like, God, you're going to do it, God. Lift your hand up if you understand that. So here's the point, and I'm closing if you'll come. The Spirit of God is doing something so unique here in Wasilla. You have to understand at least partial of the Abrahamic journey. He's going to go to a foreign place, and his faith has to be tested. Twice he lied. Twice, not one, twice. His faith is not perfect. God never picks perfect people. I know some of you think you're perfect, but I assure you, we all disagree. I'm just saying. Pastor told me to tell you. So uh, the idea is that you're in a place now. I'm just saying to you, and I want you to please hear this. You're in a place where the journey is great. You thought your faith was tested at the beginning of this. That all man, all the joy, all of the finances that God gave to you, the people that God sent to the ministry, the open doors he gave you, the platform he gave you, and you were fought, there's no doubt. But now it's a different kind of test because now what you have birth, God is calling for that in Genesis 22. He's calling for an offering that is like really out there. Don't get nervous, please don't. Abraham, I don't just want you to give anything. I want you to give what you love. I want your firstborn. Or I, want, I, want, I want the promised boy. I want the firstborn of Sarah. I want the child that I told you that I would give and things begin to happen. Ladies and gentlemen, this is unthinkable. It's like crazy. How does, wait a minute, how does God prep me like this? I mean, he blesses me with this child. He told me who the name, you know, God told Abraham how to name him. Said his name is going to be called Isaac. God gives him not only the child, but the name of the child, which means to laugh. God has made me to laugh. So God, you're going to take the child of my laughter. And listen, Abraham, don't start counseling God. This ain't fair. This ain't right. He's not going to go through a bunch of trauma stuff because there's people, they go through life and they're always talking about the trauma they're going through. And I'm talking about believers. Now. I'm not talking about sinners, people that don't know God. I'm talking about those of us that know him. And we want to blame God for everything we're feeling and experiencing in the moment. You have no idea how pregnant your journey is with the miraculous. You have forgotten the God that you're serving. That you cannot take one step without God noticing the step that you take. You cannot do anything without heaven noticing you. So much so that in the book of 1 Peter, the first chapter, the Bible says that the angels actually, they look, they bow, they bend over to look at us. The Greek is very strong. In word picture study, it means that we become the university for angels to learn things about God in us that they've never known. God is constantly educating even the angelic word with what the world, with what he's doing here with you and in believers around the world. Ladies and gentlemen, this is one of the most intense moments of life right now. All over the country, it's not just here in Alaska. There's churches popping up. We're watching God do miracles. It is intense. Let me give you one of the most amazing miracles that I've seen in the last several months. The doctor says to this lady, said, listen, you got a tumor. There's no way for it to be removed. We can't do it. If we do this, this is going to happen. This is that. That's going to happen. And God began to deal with them to call and just to ask for prayer. And I'm not trying to bore you. Just bear with me. God began to deal with them to just, you need to call and ask for prayer. They didn't like me. Have you ever had somebody not like you? Oh, not you. You're too nice. Have you ever had somebody to not like you? 
God began to deal with them, and it's amazing that they would call me, and I knew that they didn't like me, and I understood that we were that they were offended by a message, and I didn't have time to sit down with them and talk theology. And they called, and they asked the question. They said, Bishop Hooks, I said, yes. They said, my mother is, is sick. We don't have no one else to go to. Can you pray? I said, sure, I can pray. I said, do you know who you're talking to? I said, I hope so. I said, I, 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 are you, um, and I, honestly, I forgot the name. I remember the face, but forgot the name. I said, are you, I said, such and such and such. And my mom's been going to your church. And I don't like, you know, as you know. I said, all righty then. I like when people can admit it. I'm not a fan of you, but I know that if my mother's going to be healed, it's got to be somebody that believes. I said, that's me. I was born for that moment. I'm born to pray that prayer. I'm born to touch God for her. They said, well, will you do That's not being cocky. That's just knowing that God has people in your life and he sets you in a position to change the entire course of their life. How many believe that's what he's doing in Wasilla? Put your hand up if you believe that. So when you start to understand the principle, what happens is you're no longer intimidated by the impossible and your thinking begins to shift. I can remember like it was yesterday when God healed her and raised her up. That family was so shook. He moved out of town. He's now serving God. God has delivered their family. God has saved her. God removed the tumor. God did something so miraculous. And I remember this. I'm going to share this. I rarely ever share this, but I want to share it with you before we conclude tonight. Years ago, I remember God. I was 20-something years old, West Virginia. In a meeting, we were in service three or four times a day. I was young, crazy, wild, preached. Back then, I had an afro. Don't judge me. So I'd preach. Oh, my God. My hair was doing all of this. I was I was preaching like a crazy man, jumping on the podium. I was, I was doing, I was, I was preaching crazy. Like, I, it's like tomorrow's not coming. I gotta give all of this sermon today. Yeah, I was crazy. I went home to go to bed. Went to where I was staying, and I have the pictures of the house. I went to just rest because we had had several services, and we had another service that evening. And this is every day was there for seven weeks every day that was the schedule so I went and went upstairs and laid down and I wanted to go to sleep and when I went to lay down because God was dealing with my thinking because I was even though God was doing great things he was trying to teach me that hey man you're 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 still thinking too small of me you're thinking too little of me your thinking is not conducive with what I want to do with you so I go and I've only told your, your pastor this I go upstairs and I lay down and all sleep is taken away from me. No sleep at all. None at all. I was tired at first. Then as soon as I laid down, my eyes is open. No, just had no desire to go to sleep. The Lord took me. Please don't think that I'm saying this to impress you. But I had an out-of-body experience that changed my life forever. When I hear people talk about heaven, I oftentimes just wonder because there's like a woman that's been pregnant when a woman that's been pregnant talk to you you can relate with something so I always hold that in my heart when I hear people say they've had they went to heaven 
The experience changed my thinking forever. I didn't see the streets of gold. I didn't see the walls of Jasper. I didn't see the pearly gates. Wherever that was, that's not what he wanted me to see. But what I did see changed me forever. The peace of God that God wants us to experience here, please hear me. The peace that he wants us to experience here is so sad that we have so little of that. And it is so touchy and flaky and flighty that at any given time, in any given circumstance, we can lose it. Something upset us. Something gets to us. We can just lose it. And God's gone the entire time. You guys are thinking too small. You face something that looks impossible and you just lose the concentration of how great God is. And this is the reason why praise is louder in church than it is at home. Prayer is more vibrant here than it is at home for many of us. And God is calling us to a place because if your thinking is going to change, it will always affect the way you pray. Always. And when I saw him, when I looked at his eyes, and I know people ask the question, was he white, was he black? And all, you know us. When I looked into his eyes, Jesus, not a dream, not a vision, very real. I remember thinking that I never want to come back to the earth. I begged him to keep me there. I couldn't weep. I couldn't cry. I didn't have no flesh for tears. But I remember begging him the entire time what God was doing with me is to shift my thinking. He knew he would send me back. My thinking was too congested and tainted. And he began to talk to me about things that I can't share with you. Not now. I remember loving my son. My son was born, and as much as I loved him, I had no fear of his future. None. This is why I love the Abraham story, because Abraham's faith was not a threat to Isaac's future. So when God calls you to something, to do something, the faith you're operating in is not a threat to the future of your children. And when we're thinking that we're in this, this divine wisdom and we're cheating God and we're slashing things, we're, 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 listen, we're leaving out the quality that God requires. Our service is iffy. Our attitude is iffy. We think we're saving something if we're nasty and angry and talk to people any kind of way. Abraham's faith would never be a threat to Isaac's future. Never. He is risking nothing when he believes God. We feel sometimes like we risk something when we believe God. Like we're, you know, like we're really, we're sacrificing. In order to be sacrificed, there has to be a victim. Are you actually telling God you are the victim of his promise? Why do we treat God like we're a victim of his call, the victim of his word? What are you going to do? i got to obey God. I'm just so good. And God is going, are you, have you lost your mind? I gave you a divine purpose. I've given you divine direction, a divine counsel. And now you're going to treat yourself like you're a victim of my goodness. It's like, really? So he's walking with Isaac. And Isaac is like, dad, we got the fire. We got the wood. Where the sacrifice? And daddy's going like, <laughs> All righty, buddy, let's keep walking. He never flinches. He leaves the others down, and only him in the sacrifice goes up the mountain with the wood in the fire. And he looks at his son. This is his beloved son. And this is why when you understand the peace of heaven, those of you that are so troubled by your children, so upset and so scared, you don't understand the kind of peace that is necessary for you to have to think different. You must rely on God. 
I can remember thinking of little Robert. I'm just thinking of little Robert. I'm thinking to myself, God, I so trust you with his future. That's the kind of faith. This is why what God is doing in Wasilla is so crucial. When God calls you from that common place, calls you from that country where you're so accepted and everybody applauds you. And he says, listen, I want you to plant. I want you to walk. I want you to journey. And some of you say, wait a minute, if I journey, you act like you're the victim of your own journey, the victim of your own destiny. You act as though God told you something and now you're a victim of all that God has in store for you. It's the same. You see that in marriage. You see people that they're the victim of their own husband. You married him and now you're the victim. Why? Because he leaves his stuff out on the floor. And he wants me to cook. And he wants me to have another baby. Now that might be legit, but this is another story. But you'd be surprised how many of us are afflicted and conflicted inside because you actually think that God has told you something that he means for you to be the victim of. And there's no victim without a sacrifice. Got to have a victim. So what God does, he calls him, then right when his hand is ready to go down on, he says, stay your hand. It's cool. Don't, don't do anything. And then God has something that is in the thickets, in the bush. Something he'll be pleased with. Something in which Abraham would now have to exchange his son, take him off to the altar and take what God has provided to put on the altar. Here's my point. You're thinking, and many of us here tonight, your entire journey was to change your thinking. Your entire, listen, all of the stuff you went through, God is trying to say, I'm trying to get you to understand. I'm going to bless you to bless nations. But as long as you think the way you think, you're only a victim of ministry. You've met people, right, called church hurt. I'm, I've been hurt in the church. They didn't shake my hand. They, they, they didn't let my kids go into, into children's church. They sent, they sent Moses back out and Joshua and Isaac and Jeremiah. Well, if they stop acting like devils, we, I mean, I'm just saying. I, mean, I don't know why some people even name their children with Bible names. Joshua's in there like matches. Moses just closed the Red Sea on everybody. <laughs> Jeremiah interrupts us when we pray. Don't even give him no more Bible names. Good grief. <laughs> because, but we begin to act like we're victims of order. So now pastor stands up and he puts things in order. I want this to happen. That to, We're victimized because of order. We're victimized because of service. Well, they serve all the time. I'm always serving. I'm going to open. Where are you going? I'm going to open up this stupid door to church again. So you're a victim of opening the doors and sweeping. I've got to sweep. I hate sweeping. I just keep staring sweeping. I didn't like sweeping when I was a kid. I don't like it now. But I will for Jesus. God is going like, are you even kidding me? Victim of driving the van. Victim of putting gas in the van. We're just a victim of everything. Victim of going to church. I gotta go to church. Gotta get in the car. Gotta turn it on. Put it in reverse. Drive out and then get to church. And you come in church like a victim. All right. God is going. I need to slap you real good because you don't understand your journey. And as long as you want common thinking, you will treat God like a common person. You have to see him way beyond people. Lift your hand up if you understand. Your service has to extend itself. So here's the gig. 
Some of us have been bound with that victim kind of thing. Abraham could have said, God, what, what's up, God? You want, me to, you want my child, God? That ain't even right. He, he didn't walk away traumatized. He didn't come down the mountain traumatized. Now, his wife may have some issues. Because if you really study the story, you don't see, eyes, you don't see Sarah with Abraham. There's a distance. Even when, she, even when she dies, he has to come a distance. He has to come back to bury her. So I'm just saying, some Jewish people believe that there was an issue. Go and sit here and sacrifice my last son. You done lost your mind. My only son, are you crazy? I, I, I know Sarah was black. You ain't even got to tell me. I, I, I know, no, you did. You must have, you think. <sighs> Whatever happened, he had to come back to where she was in order to bury her. She was under 27 years old. The thought is, you don't see Abraham taking on the victimization attitude because every step in the journey was to take his mind, turn his mind, build his faith, perfect. You can't perfect your faith if there's nothing conflicting. You've got to have pressure. And while some of us are trying to find heaven on earth, I just want to go somewhere where there ain't no trouble. I want to go somewhere everybody loves me. I just want to go. Then you need to die. But you're not going to find it here. You better say something. I'll throw this mic at you run out of here. Like, you, you got to stop playing that. Every time I turn around, nobody likes me. They always talk about my nose. Then last night, they talked about my ear. Then they talked about my hair. And God is going, shut up. We're victim to everybody that has an opinion. And God says, I've got to change the way you think. If not, you'll die without ever completing your journey. You won't birth what I want because you're so worried. Can you imagine Sarah, 90 years old, walking around barefooted and pregnant? And you know people, you know what they've been doing. They too old for that. That looked nasty. imagine that and she was Abraham trying to help her up on the altar come on first lady and the whole congregation is going like ooh <laughs> he's 99 years old nasty old man ooh <laughs> uh, mm. That God is going to fulfill it when he's 99. Can you? And she's 90 walking around. Mm, looking at all of those haters. How you like this? Mm, still got it. Still got it. Pop McCullough. Because I got it. Baby. Jesus, that's you, dope. Ninety years old and still got it. Still look at her man and he's still going, oh baby. Ninety and beautiful has got some kind of shape. I'm just saying, Pastor trying to get me to shut up, but I feel an anointing up in here. Oh, oh. <laughs> My God, she's 90 doing the moonwalk right to the bedroom. 
in the east on the camel walk. <laughs> Ooh, thank you. Thank you. Thank you. <laughs> but if there's going to be an Isaac, there's got to be a journey. And the journey has to free them from the crazy thinking. Your faith is perfected in every step, every experience. Lift your hand up and say, God, thank you. Now I'm going to close with this. Kind of. Stop acting like a victim. You're in your family with all of the issues, all of the problems. Tore up marriage, tore up husband, tore up children. And God says, you're the solution. And you're in there a victim. I'm a victim. I, I pray. I didn't pray so much. I lost my teeth. And God is saying, you have no idea of the power I gave to you. You have no idea of the future I have for you. Lift your hands up and say, oh! Oh! Open up your mouth and say, oh! Oh! Yeah, 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 yes! You cannot afford to be a victim of your own dreams victim of your own ministry you can't be a victim of order when he brings order in the house I find me another place ain't got no order that's not how it works we're saved to operate in order we're saved to operate in power we're saved to operate in authority don't be a victim to your journey and say I'm too old to have children shut up I'm too old to birth shut up Shut down every thought that exalts itself against the knowledge of God. And know that God has raised you up while still up. God has raised you up while still up. God has raised you up. Weaponize you. Somebody say yeah. Yeah. Thank you for joining today's podcast. If God is impacting your life through this ministry, you can partner with us and give at kcalaska.com. Also, don't forget to subscribe to our channel and enjoy more messages like this one.